to this bonus episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we have been talking about diplomacy, but in this bonus episode, we are particularly highlighting the ins and outs of being a diplomat's spouse. You may have noticed we already put out an episode on diplomacy. That's where we have interviewed female diplomats and heard of their experiences. In this bonus episode, we asked an entirely different set of questions to the spouse of a diplomat. And that is a really interesting conversation as we really frequently focus on women who are the diplomats themselves, but women who are spouses of diplomats also play a pivotal role and face their own set of challenges and triumphs. Without further ado, I'm going to let this really interesting and compelling woman introduce herself. My name is Donatella Lorch and I've been a foreign correspondent for over 25 years. I started out in the late 1980s traveling with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan and I've covered over 15 or more uh, wars and conflicts, including Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, and Rwanda. And in the past 10 years, I've, I have been the wife of a diplomat or a diplomatic wife. And I've had to change myself and change my profile and change my way of thinking in many ways. And it's been really transformative. I've had my ups and downs. Uh, and at my deep down, I am still a foreign correspondent and also a diplomatic wife. When we first heard that we were moving to Kenya, that was our first station. Honestly, I didn't think I was going to be a diplomatic wife. I thought I was just going to go there and start and continue working the way I'd always done. And the reality really didn't hit until um, a few months uh, in Kenya, where I realized that um I couldn't just go out and get a job as a reporter. There were visa issues. Uh, I was under my husband's diplomatic umbrella and passport and all these different things. And I had to do entertaining, even though it's limiting, limited in, in specific ways, and, and go to events and meet different types of people that I d- uh, did as a, as a journalist. And it took me a long time to click in. I was overseas for 10 years in three separate countries. In Kenya, my husband was uh, worked for the World Bank and he covered, he was the head of office for, um, I think it was seven or eight countries and they may have shrunk to, to five or six at a certain point. Lost track of those. And then we moved to South Asia and we were based in Nepal and he was then restationed in Bangladesh and I stayed in Nepal. Nepal was also one of his countries. And then we moved to Turkey and we were based for three years in Ankara in the capital. I changed. I mean, I went through First of all, I guess it was denial. Then it was frustration. Then it was, what am I doing with my life? Who am I? And then it was figuring out ways to adapt and then realizing that I could do, I could be different people at different times and I could still be my identity before getting married, before having children, which was as a journalist and continue being that at the same time as appreciating and enjoying and exploring, which is the most important thing, because what is a journalist if not someone who explores people and information and issues? And um, there's a story everywhere. It was hard and frustrating. My husband worked very long hours most of the time. He traveled constantly. So I was often left behind um, and each country had different ways of, I guess, of our being diplomats. L- one of the lucky things that I figured out early on is that I still could work. 
but uh, because of taxation laws and other types of laws, um, I ended up by only working with um, INGOs like the United Nations or uh, in Kenya, I worked uh, for uh, almost two years with USAID. And um, I learned journalism really is about exploring uh, issues and exploring people. And I'm a, I, I like to say that as a journalist, I, I go from the small to the big uh, and I explain the big by understanding the small, and um, which means I, most of my life I've spent with refugees, and starting in Afghanistan. And um, uh, so I, I worked with USAID, maybe not with refugees, but with struggling areas of, uh, of Kenyan agriculturalists and uh, various different other groups and youth groups. And it was... It retransforming my focus and making me understand that I still was someone because there was a period in between where it was, what is my identity? Who am I? I don't want to be the person who just, as one of my uh, rather sarcastic journalistic friends put it, uh, the one who is having tea parties at five o'clock for the diplomatic spouses. And I was like, oh my God, that's not me. And I remember when she sent me that email and when my husband came home that night, I said, I can't do tea parties. <laughs> I don't even like drinking tea. And he says, well, you don't have to do tea parties. You don't have to do any of that if you don't want to. He was always very supportive. Uh, in his own way, which is never sort of up, necessarily upfront, but uh, he always said, "You do what you want to do. You participate in in these events as long as only if you really want to do that." And so I grew into it gradually, and each country is very, very different. The in large part because the cultures change and the way of doing things change. And Nepal transformed my life and really made me, in many ways, I think, a much better person. I think the people I met, which were very different than any of the people I would have met as a journalist. Uh, you know, people think of diplomatic spouse or spouses, which are, are overwhelmingly women, um, are these, you know, ditzy rich people that go around and, you know, wear uh, pantyhose and high heels. And I don't wear pantyhose. I wear pants all the time. It's horrible. Uh, some people, my sister always says, can't you wear a dress once in a while? Um, but... Uh, I think it's discovering the world of the of the other diplomatic spouses and the complexities and the fact and they they are you know every human being is a fascinating person and for me what I always loved about journal journalism is is digging into what makes people tick and understanding how they are in the in their neighborhood in their city in their in their country in their culture and um so it was so many layers of different culture because you deal with let's say the the german embassy spouse uh, you know the ambassador's wife for germany or for holland or for india and you discover that they were way more than just a spouse and they had fascinating lives. And you, in, you, I learned so much more about other cultures, about uh, other ways of living. You know, I think tagging people by saying, even by saying you're just a, you're a journalist, what does it really mean? Because there's so many different types of journalists and 
Uh, are you a journalist even though you're not working for a newspaper, but you're writing a book? Does that make you an author and not a journalist? And uh, I, ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a journalist. So when I was 15 years old, that's what I decided I was going to be. And that's what I always consider myself. But I've also been an NGO worker and I've also worked in refugee camps. And when I was a diplomatic wife, because here in the United States, as an American citizen, I'm no longer a diplomat. Um, my husband remains one, but I'm not. And I still feel the curiosity. It's as if another world was open for me. And that's what journalists are. They walk into different worlds all the time. And... And especially being a foreign correspondent, it's a gift to meet all these people. It's a gift to explore cultures. Um, when I was, I had a real big slump when we moved to Nepal and I had lived in Nepal on and off uh, 20 years before when um, I was in graduate school. And um, so I thought everything would be fine because I knew Kathmandu and my husband was restationed out of Kathmandu into uh, to Dhaka in Bangladesh. And it may be close by, but it's really hard to get back and forth by airplane. Um, <laughs> so I spent a lot of time alone with my son and my dog uh, it, it, trying to adapt uh, to a totally new culture and new world. And I went through a first major slump because I didn't have connection when you have a job when you have an aim you are you're driven you you feel like you belong but here I was I was sort of floating around neither here nor there and because my husband wasn't there the 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 requirements of being a diplomatic spouse didn't really happen until he returned if he could on weekends and sometimes it was only for a day and a half uh, at least initially and um I went into this deep, and I wrote about it extensively. Uh, what you learn is when, even when you're a diplomatic spouse, you realize there are certain things that you cannot write about. But let me tell you, you can write about it in your journal. <laughs> so it is. Um, it guided me, and it gave me the. It's hard to articulate. It helped me discover a new way of approaching myself and my job and my family and my way of living. I guess number one um, is uh, I just couldn't start interviewing people that I met and say, so what do you do and why do you do it and how does that work? And I don't, you know, uh, don't you think that's the wrong thing? And so I, you have to chit chat a lot. And uh, I, I think my husband in many ways uh, helped soften the way and uh, always introduced me to people by saying, you know, this is, this is my wife and uh, who has a totally different identity uh, <laughs> and is, uh, was a journalist and is a journalist in many ways. But I always made point, it was very tricky in Turkey uh, because Turkey has a, let's put it this way, um, a regime that uh, doesn't like journalists and certainly doesn't like journalists that would write anything critical of the government. And so I had to really tiptoe and never bring up any criticism. And I became almost paranoid about that, as a lot of people are in Turkey. Uh, and certainly ab among the diplomats, because um, in uh, there was a, we were there from just at the time of some major uh, suicide bombings and bombing attacks. Uh, 
and uh, we were also there during the failed coup. And so there was uh, there was martial law that was put in, and um, you had to be extremely careful what you said at gatherings, and um, that made me feel very uneasy. And it took me a long while to shed. I remember coming back here. We came back a year ago and realizing that if I wanted to say something that I didn't like about my government, I could say it or I could start a conversation with whomever I wanted and and be critical about my government. And it's not something that was some easy to do uh, or advisable to do in Turkey. Yes, I think that the overwhelming number of spouses, uh, uh, diplomatic spouses that I encountered were were women. Uh, there were some men in Turkey as the group of the, there was a, um, a group that met, uh, met every month, which was the spouses of the heads of um, foreign missions. And um, uh, they had brought in the the, the UN and, and the World Bank as well. So it was the the spouses of the ambassadors and they were, Oh, there was only one guy <laughs> among the very large group. There was only one guy and he was very proud of it. <laughs> uh, it I think that for me, you know, when I started out in journalism, there weren't a lot of, of uh, women that were hanging out in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen as, as, as reporters, uh, when I went as a the New York Times bureau chief to Kenya in in the in the early 1990s, I was the um, youngest woman bureau chief that they uh, overseas bureau chief that they'd ever had. And uh, but that so it's not like right now where there are way more women um, out in the war zones. Uh, you know, I think back on my era and we all know each other, many of us, you know, they're the ones that did Bosnia and the ones that did Iraq and the ones that did Afghanistan. But the, the numbers, and it's really thrilling to watch it, have really multiplied. It has become as much a woman's profession as a man's profession. And um, so I, I, for me, I grew up as, as the youngest of five girls and my mother was a very, very strong woman, and it never occurred to me that I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do. So it wasn't, uh, uh, sexism never really was brought up at the dinner table conversation. So I just did it. And as my husband said, uh, remembered afterwards that I wasn't a guy. <laughs> I'm the, uh, both my parents were academics and, uh, so they were the one thing that my mother was always agonized about was that I was not going to be an academic. And so finally here I'm, I'm finally teaching and uh, um, I'm teaching on uh, a course on war, as a matter of fact. But my mother, who just turned 100, is so excited. It's like the most exciting thing that I have done is I am teaching. <laughs> uh, though she also was very and my mother was very excited about certain things that I did and always, she always kept in touch with me. She managed during the genocide in Rwanda to, when I was at the Hotel Mille Collines uh, in Kigali, uh, I drove in with an um, ICRC, International Committee of the Red Cross con uh, convoy uh, from Bujumbura into Kigali on day four of the genocide. 
and with a bunch of uh, reporters, there was a handful of us. And um, my mother managed to figure out that the, ho- that the hotel was one of the few places where they, they still had a working international phone line. So she would send me faxes every day from New York to, uh, to the Mille Collines in Kigali during the genocide to make sure that, you know, how things were going and to criticize the articles that I'd written. I think two things. One is you have to have a supportive spouse or partner. And uh, some of them aren't, and some of them are. Mine is, I'm lucky. I mean, he's he's not uh, going to forge for myself my my uh, the direction that I want to go in. But he was very, very supportive in terms of always telling me, just take your time, figure out what you want to do, because I always wanted to work wherever I went. Uh, which is possible uh, in the in the position that I was, but it always takes a long time. You keep on moving country. It's not like you walk into a job or you walk in. You walk into your position of of diplomatic spouse, which at that point is good because, as I realize, it's a quick way of making contact with people, of making friends in a completely strange culture, of. Uh, connecting to a specific world that then can be a bridge to other worlds. Um, and the, the other thing, so it really, a lot depends on your, on your spouse, uh, on your partner and his um, ability to, to, you know, be a shoulder to lean on and also give you ideas and suggest people to meet and just bring you along, but not force you along if you didn't want to go. Uh, along. Uh, and the other thing is, it's it's about any other job. There has to be flexibility. And it took me a long, long time to learn how to be flexible. And it's like having kids and juggling kids and work. Well, it's just juggling yet another thing. Um, and learning how to, uh, you know, as you grow older, what I figured out, if only I'd had a little bit more of the wisdom that I have now, 20 years ago, I probably would have been a way better reporter and been a lot happier. And um, so it's, it's take a deep breath and realize that not everything has to happen the first day or the first week or the first month and that you build things up. Uh, slowly in bits and pieces, you know, one little piece of Lego at a time until you've built your city. And you will realize, usually the breaking, the, the point where I realize I, I belong in when you move to a new country is between eight months to a year. It takes that long. And some places are, uh, it, you immediately make good friends and other places it takes much longer. Um, there has to do a lot with, uh, you know, if, if uh, in some places my husband was so incredibly busy that um, uh, the issue was also loneliness because he would be traveling nonstop um, from one country to another because in the World Bank they assign multiple countries in certain regions. I would say try to always keep a diary. Make one friend at a time and say, congratulate yourself when you've met one person and then the next person. And uh, even if you think it's not going to be interesting, go. 
go to that event, go to, to, uh, to be there. And even if it's for two hours or for three hours, well, you know, just check things out. Uh, see the good, see the bad, analyze people, and you will meet people that may become the best friends in, in your life for years you know, to come. You, may, you might not meet anybody immediately. I mean, what really helped me was to keep a diary and to write the good and the bad every day. And it, it really helped me. I, looking back on it all, I had some really rough times, but boy, did I have great times too. I, I think the, the strangest thing that took a long time to get used to was the way, even though it, it, I was a diplomatic spouse by the, because of my husband's position, there was always a, at some level, a level of deferral towards me, you know, madam here and madam there. I was so used to just thinking of myself as the reporter that went in and asked for interviews and this, that, and the other, that I always, in the back of my mind, would think of myself, oh my God, you know, why is he being so polite with me? But then ultimately, as my husband always say, just be yourself. And that's what I did. And um, uh, I'd... I made it a part of my journalistic style to go and just go up to people and meet people and talk to people. And, you know, I wasn't going to go up to the the Russian ambassador and ask him what he thought about what Russia and the, uh, and the U.S. election. I mean, that was not something that I was going to do because I knew that was, you know, not appreciated. Uh, but I would go and, you know, talk to ambassadors and, you know, have a chit chat and see where the conversation went and, um, you know, talk about different things. One thing always leads to another. And there's, it, you can find interest uh, in any conversation that you have at any point in time. And it's like any other job. You just do it and you enjoy it and you try either have bad days and you have good days and you have days where you don't want to think about it. And, uh, but that's the same thing, even with being a mother. Uh, and, um, I, I, I can say that it taught me a lot and I feel like I'm very much of a different person than when I was just a journalist. I have a new layer to myself that I like. We hope this episode was really useful to all women, those looking to become diplomats, those considering diplomacy-adjacent work, and those looking for a unique perspective on being involved in the diplomacy realm. As Donatella mentioned, this path is not without its challenges, but it can be an extremely fulfilling and rewarding way to see the world and help other people. I want to thank her for her time and for making the world a more peaceful place. I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and please don't forget to subscribe to us and rate and review this podcast on whatever app you use. That helps other people find us. It also helps keep our podcast at the top of the listings and helps us attract new listeners. While you're at it, please subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter, which is available on our website. Our podcast next month will be about microaggressions, so if anyone has any thoughts or people they'd be interested in hearing from, please let us know, as we will be preparing for it shortly. You can follow us on Twitter at WomenInFP, and if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at lngoulet, that's G-O-U 
L-E-T, or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We are an all-volunteer team, so that makes your support even more helpful. We love the work we do and couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon. Bye.